The following sermon is from Christ Church Port Orange. For more information, find us online at joinwithjesus.org. Thanks for listening. Amen. So we're in week three of a series entitled Set Your Hope. And that phrase comes from 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13, which says, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's a pregnant sentence, and at the core of it is this command to set our hope. I don't know that there's a more appropriate time for us in this season to learn how to set our hope, and we've been doing that for the last two weeks. We started with the, with the how-to of shifting your paradigm. You need to shift your paradigm. Peter had a paradigm shift. He used to see the world one way, and now he sees it another. Part of faith and coming to a right relationship with God through faith in Jesus is you begin to see the world not as you used to experience it, but as it truly is. And so we have to learn to shift our paradigm. Secondly, we have to do some work to prepare our minds. We saw that as... Uh, um, an adjectival phrase describing what it looks like to set our hope is to prepare your minds. It means we have to be active and alert. We, we don't wake up and numbly walk into life and expect that we're going to be people with our hopes set in the right place. No, we will ultimately be led by our emotions and desires and feelings. We will put our hope in things that we wish would work out, but have no amount of certainty. And we're only setting ourselves up for disillusionment, disappointment, utter failure, and maybe a shipwreck of our fairy faith. And so God in his kindness speaks through Peter to direct us on how to be active and alert as we prepare our minds to set our hope. And this morning in week three, we're gonna learn one more how-to as we become people who are proficient in setting our hope in the right place, the grace of God that is present for us and will be given to us at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That is what we're looking toward. That is what we're waiting for. That is the sum and substance of what we're hoping in. And so we gotta learn how to not only shift our paradigm, not only prepare our minds, but thirdly, fix our eyes. The sermon title is Fix your eyes. Fix your eyes. This word hope is tricky in English because we use it in two kind of opposite ways. I don't know if you've ever noticed this or not, but we tend to use the word hope to talk about that which we are certain and confident in, namely our Christian faith, but we also use the word hope kind of regularly to talk about things that we have no idea if they will come to pass. I hope the Canes win this opening game, right? I don't know if they will, but I hope they do. And so sometimes hope can be this thing that in our minds, by definition, is both a confidence in a, in a specific outcome, but also kind of desperate for an outcome of our own making. And so we tend to use the word hope in a way that the scriptures never speak of it. And it's important for us to, to bring our English verbiage and vocabulary into line with what God's word actually says. It's one of the reasons I love the original languages. I wanted to teach you a couple words this morning. This word hope in the original Greek language, which most of the New Testament was written in, is a word called elpis, elpis. And it is translated hope or expectation. And what's intimated there is that the thing that you're expecting to happen will indeed come to pass, and that's why you can hope in that thing. And so it's a confident expectation. The word elpis is never used to talk about something that you hope will happen. And there is a word for that. It's thalo. It's a wish. It's a desire. 
It's what you would do if you could do things. When the scripture talks about God's will, it's certain. But guess what? There's a God and you're not him. And so what you want to happen is, is a wish. It's a desire. When in counseling, which I don't do a whole lot of anymore because we have a, a fantastic connection with a, a network of counseling centers and some trained professional counselors and therapists uh, who can help people and be committed to their ongoing well-being. And so we, like, I'm happy to refer people. But regularly when I meet with people and there's some uh, disagreement between a couple or something someone's really struggling with, to get to the heart of the matter, I'll ask this diagnostic question. I'll say, if you could wave a magic wand, what would you change about this situation? And man, I love that magic wand. It works so good. Because <laughs> uh, if we had a magic wand and we think about what I would change, that oftentimes gets instantly to the thing we're wishing for, hoping for, longing for in English. And oftentimes those things can't come to pass. They're out of your control. They're not likely to occur. They're dependent on somebody else. And that is not a good place to set your hope. Can I get amen? But we're learning from Peter in 1 Peter chapter 1 how we ought to set our hope on that which is reliable, on that which is a strong foundation. And we do that by fixing our eyes. And that comes through faith. Oftentimes in the scriptures, the idea of seeing and eyes are connected to faith in a revelation. It's seeing that which is unseen. It's being able to be confident in what is invisible. And you're going to see this connection. The word in the original language for faith is pistis, pistis. And I love Strong's Concordance definition of pistis. It says faith, God's in-birthed persuasion. I love that. Faith is God's in-birthed persuasion. Something happens on the inside of us that convinces us that God has revealed something that will come to pass, and now we are persuaded to that very thing. It was born inside of us. It came from outside of us. It's not something you can muster. It's not something you can fake. Faith is a gift. It's a gift from God, and it comes alive like a baby being born, and we live lives persuaded that God is faithful and his word is true. And that is what we really need to be able to see the world as it truly is, not simply as it appears. And so I want to talk a little bit this morning about faith and about fixing our eyes. I've been kind of jumping around in verses 1 to 21, and I've been skipping over uh, verses 6 to 12, and we're going to look at those this morning. And as I read this longer section of the passage, it leads up to verse 13, which I already read. I want you to listen for and look for the words about faith and revelation and seeing, and you're going to see this theme emerge. And that's where this sermon came from, directly from the text. Let's look at it together. First um, Peter chapter one in verse three. Actually, before we before I before I read it, uh, I'm I'm guessing there's some people here present on site in person or watching online or listening at a later time, and you maybe are not a person of faith, or maybe you want to be a person of faith. Maybe you look up to people of faith, but maybe you just something about it. You're like it's just not there for me. Like I just I just I don't. I don't believe it all the way. There's a reservation that I'm holding back. And so there's this thing that I just can't get past. And I talk to a lot of people that are right there. They're like, I believe the whole Jesus thing, the Bible, there's a real God, I'm not atheist, but the whole faith thing, I just, I just can't quite get there. And I wanna just simplify faith for you. Hebrews 
chapter 11, verse one gives us this definition. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, not the things that you're desperate for an outcome of your own making, not that hope, the biblical hope, that confidence in an outcome that's been revealed to you. Faith is the assurance. I know that I know that I know that the thing that I'm hoping for will come to pass. It is the conviction, I believe without being shaken, of things unseen. So it, it can't be seen with the eyes, but I, I'm convinced of it. Do you see it? And I know that it's coming even though it's not here yet. That's what faith is. Now, if you've ever started a new job, you've had faith. How many of you guys have ever started a new job? You did the interview, you were offered the job, you worked out the pay, and they said, you're gonna start working on the first and you're gonna get your first paycheck on the 15th. And for 14 days, you had faith, <laughs> didn't you? You had a confident assurance that that paycheck was gonna come. And you went to work and you lived your life just like that money was already there. And it wasn't, was it? It wasn't there on day seven. It wasn't there on day 10. It wasn't there on day 13. But someone had made a promise that you chose to trust and you put your faith in that promise. That's all faith is. Faith is the reason we wash our hands before we eat because we have a faith that there's this unseen reality happening on the surface of our skin. And if you have small children like I do, it's a regular occurrence. I never wash my hands so much in my whole life as when I've had four small, small children. You get spit on, snotted on, wiped on. Their hands are disgusting. Every time you touch them, you're like, whoa, all right, here we go. Why? And it's not because I can necessarily see it, but I know, I, I understand that germs are real and bacteria is real. And while it is not seeable, it is there. I'm convinced of it. And so I wash and I hand sanitize. Do you understand? See, we're all people of faith. It's just a matter of, are you convinced about the reality that you can't see? Are you convinced the paycheck's coming? Do you trust the employer? Are you convinced the bacteria is real? Do you trust the hand sanitizer? That's all faith is. And I'm asking you specifically to consider what it looks like for you to activate faith that you are well, you are well uh, prepared to exercise, but to put it in what God has said about Jesus. That's it. And so let's look at this together, First Peter. Let's look in verse three. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Do you hear all this language? Born again, God did something, an in-birth persuasion to a, a living hope, to an ascended, resurrected, invisible savior, to an inheritance that is coming, but you got 15 days till payday or 15 years or however long God gives you. And, and we are being protected, not by our own faith, but by God's power and through faith for the salvation that will be revealed on God's time in the last time. Look at verse six. In this, in this, you rejoice. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, 
you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully. They were looking for it. They were trying to see it inquiring what person or time the spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them. Are you hearing this language? All the things God is showing people. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. God, thank you that your word has power that as we let it come into our ears and as we consider it in our minds, it can transform, it can renew, it can bring faith to life. And I just pray this morning you would do that very thing. God, would you bring faith in Jesus to life and people who are struggling with faith? God, would you build our faith and allow us to learn to set our hope on you? God, would we be fearless and unshakable people of faith as we learn to fix our eyes on Jesus. Help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So this sermon series is specifically a how-to series. It is, it is meant to teach all of us and, and push all of us, urge all of us forward in setting our hope in the right place. We want to be people who have hope. We want to learn where to set our hope, and there's ways that we learn to do that. We need a paradigm shift. Some of us think wrongly about the whole world and you just need to have your mind open to the fact that you might think wrongly about the whole world. Everything you think about the world, many of the things you fundamentally presume and assume could be wrong. And if that's the case, then you need to have an open mind toward God to let him shift your paradigm towards that, which is true. We have to be willing to do the work to prepare our minds. We can't walk through life numb and just listening to every voice and just following every voice. That is ridiculous. There is action involved and we need to be alert to what is really going on around us and how to interpret it based on what God has revealed. And in order to see what God has revealed, we have to be people who learn to fix our eyes. Now, I do want to be very practical in this sermon as we talk about what it looks like to fix your eyes. But I'm here to tell you before we get to that, I got to tell you that in order to fix your eyes, you need to get your eyes fixed. In order for you to learn how to fix your eyes on something, you need your eyes fixed. Now, I don't talk about this very frequently. If you've been around uh, Christ Church or if you've been in church with me in years past, I've mentioned this sporadically through sermons. But when I was 13 years old, uh, my eyesight was miraculously healed. Now, I don't talk about that because I'm not trying to um, spin up miracles and signs and wonders, um, but in the early 90s, there was this move of the Holy Spirit that was pronounced, and believers who were following Jesus in the early 90s, remember it. Can I get an amen? 
Well, I was 13 and I was nearsighted and I wore glasses. And so if you see some pictures of me at 13, I'm wearing glasses and I couldn't see well without my glasses. My oldest daughter, Evie, has a similar prescription. She wears glasses. But I am also very prone to headaches. I get headaches frequently. I I have very sensitive eyes and head. And I found that my glasses were regularly giving me a headache, looking up, looking down, looking up, looking down, having them resting on my ears, on my temples. And so I was getting these headaches all the time. And so I'm at this church service and there was this invitation to come forward for prayer and the Holy Spirit was moving and people were getting affected and things were happening. And so there was this, this invitation for healing. And I thought, I do not want to have these headaches any longer. And so I'm 13 years old, and whatever faith a 13-year-old had, I walked up to the front of this small church, and I just said, "Um, I would like to be prayed for to not have headaches anymore. And this elderly lady put her hand on my forehead, and she prayed that God would heal me of my headaches. And I didn't have a headache, so nothing really happened. And I didn't really feel anything. But I went home, and my glasses, which I had left on my dresser, because I didn't like to wear them to church, because I felt like I looked like a nerd, I put them on, and it was literally like the Spider-Man scene put the glasses on and everything was blurry with them on. And I was like, this is weird. And it was on, off, on, off, on, off, on, off. And I've never worn glasses since then. I literally had my eyes fixed. Now it gets better than that. Um, fast forward 20 years. Now I have a four-year-old son and he's dangerous. Just hanging out with him. You just never know what's going to happen. And uh, this last summer we're, we're at the beach and um, I knew better than this, but he had, he had found this little piece of rope that was left over from a swing that we hung. And uh, the kids had tied a knot in one end of it, and it was about this long, and he wanted to play with it, and I had a feeling like it was a bad idea, but I let him play with it, because I'm a dad, not a mom. <laughs> and, uh, and so he's, we're down at the beach, and he's kind of playing behind me, and I got my sunglasses on. Remember the whole thing I said about sensitivity? I always have my sunglasses on outside. Sunshine hurts my eyeballs, and I got my, my, my sun, sunglasses on, and I'm reading a book, and my phone buzzes, and I pull my phone, and I can't see my phone with my glasses on, so I lift my glasses up to see my phone, and as soon as I lifted them up, he had been spinning that rope with the knot at the end, and it came right around from behind me, and that knot hit me square in the open left eye. Bam! My whole vision in that eye went totally gray, and it was immediately bloodshot, just red. So I'm covered up my eyes. I'm saying words that aren't in the Bible. We're we're packing up the kids. He's crying. Mom's mad. The girls are shocked. There's a whole thing. And so a friend of ours uh, is close friends with uh, an eye doctor, uh, Jen Iannarelli up in Ormond. And so she calls and she's like, can you see my friend? He had an injury and he needs to be seen right away. So I got my eye. I got my hand over my eye. And I'm I'm thinking, you know what? I'm Pastor Pirate from now on. That's where this is going. This is what's happening. It's going to be eye patch forever. And, and um, but I, I kind of kept my eye covered and I'd get to the doctor, take the eye patch off, literally not a scratch on my eye. I open it and I can see perfectly fine. There's no blood in there anymore. And then she's like, there's, not, there's literally nothing wrong with your eye. It's not even irritated. She's like, it's possible that something will happen later. Maybe it just hurt. Maybe your eye closed. I was like, no, <laughs> that's not what happened. And so I left the eye doctor. I'm going like, are these, are these things like indestructible now? Is that what you did? Like, did you like fix them forever? Like, will I be a hundred years old with like Air Force pilot vision? Is that where this is going? I don't know. But God fixed my eyes. It's pretty cool. It's, and it's true. I'm not making this up and I'm not trying to like get anybody's attention for it. It's just, a, it's a miracle to happen. Part of the reason I believe in miracles because they happen in the Bible. They happen all over the world. Nothing indicates that they should stop and they happen to me. So the question is, why don't they happen more? If you can answer that. We can all get along better, I guess. I don't know. So God fixed my eyes. 
But that wasn't the biggest miracle I've ever experienced. The biggest miracle I ever experienced is that at 18, when I really started to question, was God even real and did this life even matter and would I have a fulfilling life following him? Now this is with miracle eyes in my head, seriously. (laughs) Having known the scriptures, walked with God, seen all sorts of things, believed, been baptized. At 18, I, I just, I wasn't happy and I didn't feel like God was gonna give me the things that I wanted. And so I had this whole list of things that I I worshiped and adored and was longing after and was pursuing. And God was not really on the list. He was ancillary at best. But at 18, I kind of like, I got invited to go to this conference and I didn't want to go. I didn't feel like spending the money. I didn't feel like being around the people who were going. And so I was going to say no. And somebody invited me and out out of my mouth came, okay, I'll go. What? (laughs) But I went and at that point I met I met the Holy Spirit in a powerful way. And I heard the gospel, which I had heard so many times before, but the reality that God wanted to be seated on the throne in my life and that I had a whole list of things that were effectively idols that I was living for, living after, running after, putting all my happiness, all my hope in. And so I I had my eyes opened to see the world, not as I was experiencing it, but as it truly was from God's perspective. When I was 18, he fixed my eyes on the inside, my mind's eye, my faith, and I began to live in a totally different way. I began to trust him when I didn't understand. I began to trust him when it didn't make sense. I began to just trust him and do what he said, even though it went against what I felt or wanted, he fixed my eyes. And I don't know if you know this or not, but before you can learn to set your hope, and in order to set your hope, you gotta fix your eyes. Before you can fix your eyes, you gotta get your eyes fixed. And if you've had your eyes fixed in the house, somebody give me an amen. If you can say, yep, I got my eyes fixed. I know what you're talking about. These eyes have been fixed. Well, this is what Peter points us to. I see it this way in the passage, and it's just because I'm a preacher. I see three sections that we need to receive a revelation, we need to rejoice in repetition, and then we need to recognize a reality. So let's look at these three together. Receive a revelation. How are you going to get your eyes fixed? Look at verse three. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why? According to his great mercy. What's the source of this? What's the measure of this? His great mercy. You haven't known mercy until you've known God's mercy. And the only way to describe mercy when it's God's is great mercy. I don't think there's a shortage of Greek and English words to describe the mercy of God. Because if you knew what I was like and what was in my heart and where I was going, you would think only mercy is going to get that kid going in any other direction. And if you've been an object of God's mercy, you know how great his mercy is. According to his great mercy, he caused us to be born again to a living hope. Do you have an in-birth persuasion inside of you that is shaping the course of your life? Guess what? You didn't put it there. You're not that smart. You're not that insightful. You're not even that compassionate on yourself. Tell you one of the things about not having your eyes fixed. I was a guilty person. I felt terrible all the time. Part of knowing what's what's right and wrong and then doing wrong just makes you get ridden. It's crazy how you can never enjoy yourself when you're walking covered in guilt. You're not even merciful enough to yourself to give yourself the kind of faith you need. You got to be born again, and that's got to come out inside of you. Not one single one of you got to pick where you were born or to whom. None of us. You certainly didn't get to pick who your siblings are. You wouldn't have picked that, would you? How many of you guys are like me in like the sixth grade? You're like, I'm pretty sure I was adopted. (laughs) Do you ever have that thought? I remember thinking, "Ah, I am not like these people. 
And I'm obviously better looking. So <laughs> something happened. I'm not sure what it was. You don't get to pick. You're born into your natural life and you're born into a spiritual life. You have an encounter with God where you hear news that would have hit your your actual tangible ears and done nothing, but something on the inside of you came to life. And that's the gift of faith. And you got to receive a revelation before you can fix your eyes. Before you can learn to put your eyes where your hope will be, you've got to let God fix the eyes of your heart. He's got to give you the gift of faith. You've been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. This was not just a magic wand moment for God. He didn't just go, I'm going to change your heart. I'm going to fix your situation. He came into the world as a person, a revelation of God himself in the person of Jesus. He lived a life like you, tangible. He got up, he worked, he went to bed, he met with people, he dealt with issues, he felt pain and sorrow and anguish. He walked in life and felt it all and he did it perfectly without ever failing God in perfect communion with his father, trusting in him and obeying him 100%. And then instead of being received into life, he was killed in death and through his crucifixion, he became a gift of salvation for all people. That's the source of our faith. That is the reason that we are here. We have been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. No Jesus, no hope. No resurrection, no hope. No Jesus, nothing to put your faith in. Nothing to walk in, nothing to see. Without a resurrected Jesus, there is nothing, brothers and sisters. But listen, when the good news about a resurrected Jesus reaches hearts and minds, even buried in Islamic oppression in Afghanistan under threat of death, people say, I believe it. I believe it and I receive it. Something happened in me that's unstoppable. And so I'm going underground and I'm being a part of something no matter what it costs me. That, brothers and sisters, is having your eyes fixed. But you've got to receive that revelation. It's got to come to you. And by faith, you've got to receive it. You've been, you've been born again through something. You've also been born again to something. You know you got something coming? You got some credit in your account? Are you, any of you guys also getting free government money in your account? Like what in the world is happening? Where were you 10 years ago when I needed extra money? That's what I was thinking. Come on, where was this? I'm like, oh, look, there's extra money. Just, it just freaks me out that money can just come into my account. Because I feel like if they can put it in there, they might just, just as easily take it out. Like, get, get out of there. Just mail me a check. I don't know if you feel like that. We've been born to something. We have an inheritance that's imperishable. We'll never go bad undefiled. There's nothing bad about it. No bad outcome, nothing negative attached to it. I'm afraid of that money too, because I know that when you have too much money chasing too little product, that just makes everything cost more. Do you know that? That's just basic economics. And so I'm afraid of that money because it just, I see that money and I don't think, yay, $1,050. I think $5 gas, here it comes. That's what I think. But this is undefiled. There's nothing wrong with the inheritance that's coming your way. It's imperishable and it's unfading. I love that. It's unfading. It's going to last forever. We live beachside. We go to the beach a lot. One of the things that happens, you go to the beach, you go to the pool, you have a nice shirt on, you, you go to the pool, shirt comes off, you hang the shirt on the fence. The next morning, one side of it's lighter than the other. Anybody else ever experienced this in the beautiful sunshine state of Florida? Your stuff is out there cooking, just cooking. It doesn't take any time at all. But here we are living towards something that will never wear out. 
you will never see the end of it. It's not decomposing. It's not breaking down. Man, if you could find your favorite pair of jeans that would do that for you, whoo! It's kept in heaven for you. And it's God's power. He's the one that caused it, and he's the one that guards us. See, our faith is such a beautiful gift. Do you know that your faith is actually the power of God? Do you know that when you, something happened on the inside of you and you came alive to God and you started trusting him and following after him, that faith, that's not a thing that you do that's pretty cool that other people can't do or that other people won't do that makes you special. That's a gift that you receive from God and it wraps around you and it keeps you safe. Do you know that? It's the power of God, that gift of faith. And it's bringing you through this crazy life with its ups and downs and unforeseen challenges and pains and sorrows and losses and disappointments through to something that is eternal. Amen. It's the power of God and it's bringing you to salvation. It's a salvation that is ready to be revealed. All these things are true, but they're unseen. All these things are true, but they're coming. Just like that 15-day delay before your first paycheck, that's what faith is for. It brings you, it gets you up out of bed to go to that job and to do your best day one, day two, day three, day four, all the way day 14. And at some point, there's gonna be a revelation. At some point, there's gonna be a direct deposit. At some point, uh, God's gonna make good on all of his promises. There's a time ready to be revealed in the last time. But you need God to open your eyes. And my heart is for every single person that has not experienced this to get it and to receive it from God. And I can't make it happen. It's outside of my control. It's the move of God. It's the power of God. It's the wind of the spirit. But when the good news about Jesus comes out of a mouth like mine or a mouth like a donkey's, you pick the mouth. If the truth is present, the miracle of faith happens. Do you know it? It doesn't matter if you're in the room, if you're first service, second service, if you're online, if you're listening on a Tuesday in 2045 on a jump drive you found after the end of the world with no internet. <laughs> the good news of Jesus doesn't change. And it's a miracle that happens. You gotta receive that revelation. Reminds me of the story in 2 Kings chapter 6, one of my favorite stories in the Bible. It's the story of uh, Elisha the prophet. And this is not Elijah the prophet, it's Elisha the prophet. And he was the, the uh, Elijah's the predecessor, Elisha's the protege. And at this point, it appears that Elisha is an old man and he's got a servant. We don't know if anything special is going to happen to that guy or not. But he can see everything. He's got, he's got insight into everything from the Spirit of God. He's a special prophet. And uh, the king of Syria is trying to attack Israel. And so he, he's getting his spies out there. And okay, we know the, the Israelite army's coming right through this valley and we're going to slaughter them. And so they make this plan to attack them at this valley and, and then they're not there. And this happens again and it happens again and it happens again. And the king of Syria goes, who's the spy? Find me the spy. And somebody says, it's not one of us, boss. There's a prophet in Israel and he knows everything you do and every word you say in your bedroom. So the king says, go get him. And they know right where he's at. And Elisha doesn't run. He's just hanging out in Dothan in his house. And the servant of Elisha gets up, crack of dawn. He goes to get some water to fill the Keurig. And he walks out and he looks around and he sees the whole Syrian army surrounding the house. And he's terrified. And he runs into Elisha and he says, what are we supposed to do? You remember what Elisha says? I'll read this. I'll read the... The scripture to you, it's powerful. Verse 15, when the servant of the man of God rose early in the morning and went out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city. And the servant said, alas, my master, what shall we do? Which is Hebrew for, ah! <laughs> he said, this is what Elisha said, do not be afraid for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. 
And, and Elisha's servant's like, I only see you, me, and that curry. I don't know. And enough coffee and dolphin to... And then Elisha prayed and said, oh, Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened his eyes of the young man, and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Elisha's like, I got a heavenly security detail. I don't know what you're worried about. He's like, you think I hired you as like my bodyguard? I just need coffee, you know? But he could see. I don't know that Elisha could see those chariots like with his natural eyes. I just know that he knew they were there. He just knew he had God's protection. And this is the gift of faith. You need to have that gift. And if you'll pray for it, and I'm praying for you that you receive it, you'll receive that revelation. God will fix your eyes. I love the way this passage ends in verse 23. And the Syrians did not come again on raids into the land of Israel. <laughs> Smart people. So we got to receive a revelation. Secondly, we got to rejoice in repetition. Somebody say rejoice. 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 No Christmas songs. Not yet. Wait till November. That's our, that's our rule. I love, I love this. We got to rejoice in repetition. One of the best ways you can fix your eyes is to sing yourself into seeing. One of the reasons I love coming to church every week, I don't come here because I get paid. I don't come here because I got a sermon. I come here to sing with you all. I come here to lift my voice in rejoicing to the only wise king, to the eternal God and savior of the world who's worthy of all my affection and attention. Listen, not all of us are singers. Some of you sound beautiful. Some of you sound less beautiful. But listen, that does not make God any less worthy of our worship, does it? And God gave us a gift of song. Some of you are like, I don't sing, I stand and I sip. Listen, Listen, singing is such a powerful gift from God because in rejoicing, you fix your eyes. Because you come into church wondering if everything's gonna be okay. You come into church thinking about your bills and your marriage and your neighbors and your problems and your cancer and your concerns and the news. And then God says, okay, pause on that and let's think about O King Eternal, O Christ be magnified. Oh, there's a bigger picture going on than the things I brought into here. And in fact, God wants me to leave them here and he wants me to take something else home. And I won't recognize that until I rejoice. And I gotta rejoice in repetition. Look at this, I love this. This is like a little persecution sandwich. This is like a little suffering sandwich, this little, look at this. In this you rejoice, now though for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. I wonder how the original readers read that. Various trials? Really? You mean where I lost everything and was evicted from my homeland? Where I'm penniless and a foreigner in a city that's not my own, where I don't speak the language and nobody likes me? Various trials? It's like he's talking about throwing your back out. Oh, I'm stiff. I can't quite move. I'm turning with my whole body. Like that's a various trial. Losing everything's not a various trial. If that's a various trial, what kind of other trials am I going to expect? But there's a perspective that comes when you rejoice. When you recognize the power of what you've received, it gives you perspective on persecution. It gives you perspective on your pain. And so worship is this powerful tool that God gives us to fix our eyes and wrap up, wrap up our pain like a little pig in a blanket, make it manageable and edible and small. 
This is so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, by the way, God's doing something so miraculous in you. Sometimes you like to take away everything you have and bring you to the verge of financial ruin. And then you go, God, I trust you and you're my only hope. And he goes, that's valuable. That's valuable. Now here's tons of money, never hoping it again. He does it all the time. He's like, you're hoping in your wealth, you're hoping in your certainty, you're hoping in your plan, you're hoping in your income, you're hoping in all, all this stuff coming your way. Those are terrible things to hope in. Let's just take those away for a second. Ah, help! But I'll praise him in the storm. And I'll meet him in the persecution. I'll find him in the pain. I'll discover him and I'll see him in the suffering. And it's in that moment where you set your hope on God because your eyes are fixed. You gotta receive the revelation and you gotta rejoice and repetition. I love that it says in verse eight, though you have not seen him, you love him. Isn't that a miracle? Isn't that a miracle? Peter literally saw Jesus. Jesus one day was like, his brother, Peter's brother said, you gotta come see this, Jesus. He saw him standing there. I don't know what he thought. I don't know the first thought Peter had. Was he thinking like, contractor from Nazareth? Like, Okay, like what, do you, what was the thoughts? What's the first impression Peter had of Jesus? No idea, but Peter saw Jesus. Peter saw Jesus' miracles. Peter saw Jesus' transfiguration. He saw the crucifixion. He saw the empty tomb. He saw the ascension of the risen Jesus. He saw Jesus on a beach, re-inviting him back into the fold after he had failed him and three times saying, feed my sheep. He saw the Holy Spirit descend at Pentecost. He saw the spirit of Jesus saving Gentiles. Peter saw the whole church established. And he was a Peter who saw Jesus. And he's writing to these first century recipients who did not see Jesus. And there's a miracle here. He says, you never saw him, but you love him. Because by faith, you know him. Listen, I've never seen Jesus, but I know him. I talk to him every day, every single day. I know him. And when I see him, I'm going to know him. You ever talk to somebody on the phone that you never saw before? You know that weird thing where you're like, you don't look like you sound. You ever, you ever remember the first time you saw a radio DJ? You're like, yep, made for radio. That's right, exactly. No offense if you're a DJ. But when I see Jesus, I'm gonna know it's him because I know him. I know him so well because I talk to him so much because I've experienced him so intimately and so closely. And when you receive that revelation and you learn to rejoice in repetition, you grow in your love for Jesus so that though you do not See him now, you believe in him. And look at this, bracket, verse six, in this you rejoice, verse eight, and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. I love that. Some, some of you guys act a fool in worship. I love it. We're, we're, we're kind of stoic people here in Port Orange, in Belushi County. We're, we're, we're put together. We're, we're, we're well-dressed and we're, we're not acting crazy, but some of y'all are like, woo! You're loud, you're yelling, you're waving your arms, you don't care what your clothes are doing, wardrobe malfunction, right, in church, whatever. I love this. There's a joy that's inexpressible. You can't hardly get your love for Jesus out. And so, and so there's just this freedom that comes as you rejoice. That's why I love, I love the awkward clapper. I, I say one little Jesus thing and somebody's like, yeah! And nobody else plays along. They're like, ooh, over eager. Is that your uncle? Who is that? But he gives us, we got so much joy inside. And what happens as we do this in repetition is that we, obtain the outcome of our faith. I'm gonna keep doing this till Jesus comes back. 
I'm in it. I'm in it to win it. I'm in it to win it. And if y'all leave and it's just me here, I'll just go somewhere else, worship with other people. You know, there's, there's 400 churches in Volusia County and we're all a little weird. We all got our angle, right? But I'll go find some people and I will do this until I die. And I'll take my kids to church. And I, wanted, I want to do this with you, by the way. This isn't like prophetic. Uh, I, I plan to definitely keep doing this with you guys. I'm just saying, I'll put my hope anywhere but Jesus and I'll keep worshiping him with whoever will gather with me. And if that's on the beach at sunrise or that's underground through persecution, and if that's in the United States or if that's Afghanistan, Jesus is on the throne and he is what gives me joy. And I'm gonna rejoice in repetition again and again and again and again. And you're invited to strengthen your faith and fix your eyes as you do the same. All right. It's all right, I'm not gonna say it. We gotta receive a revelation, rejoice in repetition. And then thirdly, if we're gonna fix our eyes, we gotta recognize a reality. Look at verse 10. This is crazy. Concerning this salvation. So I've been talking about this salvation. Let's talk about this salvation for a second. Let's zoom in on salvation. The prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. You ever read that and you go, what is that talking about? I'm gonna say what that's talking about. This is awesome. Um, Because if you're, how many parents in the room? You got kids, raise your hand. Let me see you. All right, this is gonna work well. Okay, so how many of you guys do this thing where your kids complain and then you give them some perspective compared to your childhood. Anybody do that? Here's my kids. I got two of the kids, back of the Mustang, small car, very cold AC, driving in Florida. Here's what I hear. I'm cold. Your car doesn't have dual climate control. Part of me is like, get out. Get out, just get out of the car. But I go instantly to like, When I was your age, I was in the back of a 77 Ford Cougar station wagon with hot brown vinyl seats. My backside was sweating. There was no air conditioning. It smelled like someone had dropped a can of orange concentrated juice under the seat and left it there to rot. Things had died in there. Do you understand? This is what I was living through. It's too cold with something I never said. And in my heart, I'm going, shut up, you spoiled little. And then on the outside, I go, well, let me turn it down and let's talk, you know? You're like trying to be a... But we do this thing where we want to help people adjust their attitude through a little bit of comparison, and that's not all bad. And Peter does that very thing. He's saying, listen, you guys are suffering, yes. You've lost everything, yes. You've been moved by God from comfort and sustainability and what's normal, and you've been pushed into an environment that's abnormal and scary, and you have less, and so yes, there are various trials. Totally true. But listen... You get to know about Jesus. Do you realize we are of a lineage of faith filled with centuries of people who received promises from God to be fulfilled in a mysterious messianic figure that nobody could figure out? And you get to know who that was. (laughs) He's like, get out. It's having a little Papa Peter moment. Look at that, I mean, look at that section. It was revealed to them, verse 12, that they were serving not themselves, but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Do you understand the value of what you have? Listen, when you fix your eyes on Jesus, you get some perspective about what the rest of the world has experienced. 
Listen, and we need this because we get so myopic. Listen, everything that's happening in the Middle East right now is an abject tragedy. Do you understand this? I'm not going to minimize that at all. Terrible, 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 terrible. But I'm grateful that God uses those terrible things to snap us out of our commitment to privacy and prosperity. We're ridiculous, Americans in the 21st century. How can we be Christian people who go to work and have no time for anybody, leave the garage door, come into the garage door, walk the dog, dodge the neighbor, get the paycheck, retire and buy the camper and do the thing and don't fulfill any mission and we're private and we're prosperous and we're hope, our hope is in all the wrong places. Meanwhile, we got brothers and sisters in Christ with nothing but a death threat living day to day and wondering what happened to their children they were separated from and that hope in Jesus will not only sustain sustain them, but it can break us out of our ridiculousness and get our eyes fixed where it ought to be. We need a little bit of comparison every once in a while. There were centuries of people who put their faith in few things God said that did not come to fruition, and it got them through exile, and it got them through the wilderness, and it got them through Roman oppression, and it led them to Jesus. But brothers and sisters, we get to look back to see the source of every promise God has made. Every promise has its yes and amen in Jesus. And that's who we fix our eyes upon. And so it doesn't matter what we're going through. Someone's got it worse. I tell my kids this all the time. You have no idea. We got to be careful. I got to be careful because I don't want my children to think that my parents were like just the most terrible human beings ever. You know, we were talking uh, to Molly uh, about laundry being clean. So Tiffany does all this laundry and I'm trying to learn to do laundry. I keep shrinking things and ruining things, but we're trying to keep the kids clean. And, and uh, they're like, I have nothing clean, this smells. And so Tiffany's like, I grew up with a mom that smoked cigarettes in the house. All my clothes smelled like a cigarette. And the kids were like, oh, oh. And I was like, I had this like whole, like, sh- like I remembered, I'm not like getting down on people that smoke. If you smoke, like God bless you and release you. But do you... <laughs> Like, I grew up in, in Florida when you could smoke in restaurants. Do you remember? I remember going to Cracker Barrel, and they'd be like, smoking or non? And I'm like, you're talking about which side of the lattice that I sit on, smoking or non? Like, do you remember, do you remember this, anybody? Like, we're having this whole, this whole, like, cigarette conversation. Like, the whole world has shifted, and sometimes we forget. And so we had this conversation. So a few nights later, I'm tucking Molly into bed. I'm laying next to her, and, and she, starts, she always asks me these deep theological questions right before bed. It's beautiful. Dad, why did God make marriage? She says to me, I'm like, all right, this is an opportunity. And I start, I give her the long four-point pastoral answer. Well, God made marriage for creation and procreation, and God wants us to have this beautiful marriage and have this, this thing we share that brings two people together, and then children are born. And it's actually a picture of Christ in the church. And I'm like, I'm like really into it. And then she's like, um, someday I'm gonna get married. And I was like, Yeah, you are. She goes, Does God know who I'm gonna marry? Yeah. Wait, does God know that you were going to marry mom? Yep. So God knows who I'm going to marry. Yeah. And she goes, I hope he doesn't smoke those cigarettes. (laughs) (sighs) So I don't know that the comparisons are working, but stuff's getting through. Anyway, I don't. We got to recognize the reality of what we really have, brothers and sisters. Listen, things don't go the way we plan. Stuff is hard. I'm not trying to minimize your pain. And there's no point in comparing our pain. There's no point in comparing our sufferings. What God calls me to walk through is not what God calls you to walk through. But sometimes it's just helpful for us to fix our eyes by zooming out and just looking at the big picture. To go, we exist in a timeline that God has created 
that started in, with creation that could have ended with the fall of the death of Adam and Eve if God had not been merciful. And it certainly could have ended in Genesis chapter six with Noah if God had not been faithful to his promise. And it certainly could have ended in Egypt with slavery and oppression and death. It certainly could have ended in a wilderness, but God sustained his people. It certainly could have ended under Babylonian captivity. It could have ended under Assyrian captivity. It could have end, ended under Roman oppression, but God was always faithful. And there was always a remnant of people who just trusted God and took him at his word, even though it looked terrible and it looked dark. And we are part of that lineage. But we get to be the people who know and see and follow Jesus, who sing to him and about him with each other, who rejoice in repetition, who've received a revelation. And we need to recognize this reality because that is how we learn to set our hope. That's how we learn to set our hope. We're Jesus people. We're durable, fearless, powerful, and we're part of a church oppressed, underground, attacked, threatened. That's our brothers and sisters over there. And we're just, we're just shifting money around, accounts around, we're praying. And as we pray and as we praise, we experience God's power. And that's what really starts to fix our eyes. Our kids are back there right now learning not to worry about anything, but to pray about everything. You know that? And we need the same lesson in here, don't we? We need to learn how to set our hope firmly on the ground that is Jesus. I want to end here and I want to pray for us. Every single one of us, we need, we need a fresh dose of Jesus to fix our eyes on. The author of Hebrews says in chapter 12 and verses one and two, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the founder and perfecter. One translation says the pioneer and perfecter. I love that, pioneer and perfecter of our faith. You know, we're walking a path, but we're not having to hack through the woods we're walking a path and it's been walked before. It's been cleared for us. There's a pioneer that's gone where we're going and he's left us a path to follow and he's accompanying us on the journey. And it's a gift of God, this faith. And then it's a tool that we're meant to use as we fix our eyes on Jesus. And as we do that, we're gonna to learn to set our hope in, in, in places where it is secure and where we're gonna be used powerfully by God in praise and in prayer and in ministry to others. And so I want to admonish you at this point to celebrate Jesus weekly, to make it a part of your life. There's a lot of people today who make church a part of their life in a once a month, three times a year, twice a year, when I need it. Uh, and it's not just about you getting what you need. It's about you being who God made you to be and you being a part of what God's called you into. And you might find that you actually need a whole lot more than you've been giving. I wonder how much spiritual anemia there is in the West. And so let's celebrate Jesus weekly. Let's, in, let's be committed to encounter Jesus daily. Let's open up a dialogue. Every website I get on these days, everything I'm trying to find online, bleep, a little dialogue bot, little robot wants to talk to me. I don't wanna to talk to you. No, 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 no. I don't need automated response from Dana. But every day, let's let a little chat box with Jesus open up. It's not a robot. It's not automated. He's ready to walk with you, talk with you as you fix your eyes on him. Let's be people that worship Jesus hourly. 
Maybe you need to upgrade from the Z to actual CD. Maybe you need to pop your AirPods in and get some praise on. Maybe you need to learn to fix your eyes and set your faith on that which is true as we just learn to rejoice no matter what we're working through. If you find yourself suffering, if you find yourself angry, if you find yourself hurting, then turn to the thing you can rejoice in. Make yourself a nice little rejoicing suffering sandwich. Praise your way into it and praise your way out of it. And then let's just be people who just pray frequently, consistently, constantly. Let's make it our first move and not our last resort because that's where we learn to fix our eyes. That's where we learn to set our hope. How many more prayers will Jesus answer for us that we wouldn't have otherwise prayed when we've set our hope on me figuring it out, on the money will be there, on I've got this asset, or I've got this move I can make, or I've got this person I can depend on. No, let's go straight to Jesus first. Maybe he wants to do a whole lot more for us than we consider. Amen? God, I pray for myself and my friends, Lord, that we would learn how to fix our eyes on you. And God, I thank you for the reminder that before we can fix our eyes on you, we got to get our eyes fixed. And I thank you that you are doing that. And as we hear the good news about Jesus, about your great love for us and your great mercy and all that you have done throughout history to bring salvation to our front door. God, I just pray that it would be an inburst persuasion from you in every human heart. God, I pray for those who are experiencing that right now. There's a fresh and a new convincing and convicting going on. Maybe it feels like these are the things I've done wrong that I need forgiven of. Maybe it feels like this is now what I know to be true that is reorienting my life. God, I pray that as anyone in my hearing experiences that gift of faith, Lord, that they would humbly just look to you and say, God, I'm yours. Forgive me and lead me. And as they speak those words in their minds and with their mouths, God, you have given the gift of salvation. Lord, I pray for every single one of us who are Jesus followers, disciples, that we're learning in these tumultuous times to set our hope on that which is trustworthy and true. God, I pray that we would be people who regularly fix our eyes on Jesus. Lord, Holy Spirit, I just pray that right now you would make that real and in the details for every single one of us. Lord, you know us intimately. I can't think of everything everyone needs and every little way that everyone can apply this message, God, but I pray that your Holy Spirit would make it real in our hearts and that you would teach us to fix our eyes on Jesus. God, I thank you for the miracle that you will do in our hearts and the miracles that you will do through our hands as we follow you and walk by faith to be who you've called us to be in this world. God, we thank you and we love you. In Jesus' mighty name, all God's people said, amen, amen. Hey, if you feel like you received that gift of faith and you wanna follow Jesus and you want someone to lead you in a prayer and to give you some resources, our prayer team's here and they'd love to pray with you and help you take the next step. And if you have any need of prayer whatsoever, they're eager to pray with you and for you as well. God bless you guys. Have a wonderful week. Go out and be who God made you to be, amen? I'll see you next Sunday.